I'm your host, Robbie MC, and you're listening to Love and Other Drugs podcast, where we talk about the effects of being in and out of love and all things related to humanity's biggest mystery. Welcome to the show's first episode. It's called Love is a Drug, and it may sound like a pretty blunt statement, but it's not me who's saying it. Over the course of several years, I've been reading a lot on this matter, and I've come across extraordinary studies and data collected by prestigious researchers, scientists, professors, doctors, and authors who corroborate this affirmation. My intention is to illuminate what love represents to humans and its role in modern society, but also its development across centuries of cultural transformations, religious affiliation, and gender and sexual orientation. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the love drug and listen to experts talk about why we experience such amazing feelings when falling in love and quite the torment and pain when at its loss. The first woman we'll be hearing today is a biological anthropologist, human behavior researcher, and author of the bestseller book, Why We Love, Dr. Helen Fisher. I have long felt that romantic love was an addiction. It's got so many of the characteristics of addiction. The focused attention, the obsessive thinking, the absolute craving, the willingness to do dangerous and inappropriate uh, things to win somebody. Somebody's camping in your head. It is an obsession. And we were finally able to prove that romantic love does activate basic brain regions linked with all of the addictions. In fact, romantic love triggers brain regions that are, are, are regularly triggered for cocaine addiction. But for all of the addictions, some of these brain circuits become active, including romantic love. Romantic love can be a wonderful addiction when it's going well and a perfectly horrible addiction when it's going poorly. There are some differences between addiction to a person and addiction to a drug. Uh, generally, you know, when you finally get off drugs, you don't kill yourself after you're off the drug. A great many people really suffer after they've been rejected in love. The amount of stalking, clinical depression, suicide, homicide, and all sorts of other crimes of passion are simply because somebody is addicted, love addicted to somebody else. I would even call uh, addiction, uh, uh, romantic addiction and attachment addiction as the mothers of all current modern addictions. And in fact, I think that the modern addictions like cocaine or heroin or cigarettes or uh, no, I mean, nicotine or things are hijacking this ancient human brain circuitry for a positive addiction for romantic love. Not everybody gets addicted to cocaine or to heroin or to cigarettes or even to food or gambling. Everybody at some time in their life 
has been addicted to love. You know, none of us get out of, of love alive. We all have tremendous joy and really often sometimes some tremendous sorrow. I guess it's pretty hard not to relate to what Dr. Fisher says. After all, everyone either has been or will be in love at some point in life. How about you? What was your biggest joy or biggest sorrow so far? Send me a voice text telling your story and help out strengthen this community by sharing your thoughts and feelings over the effects of love in your day-to-day -day life. The second woman we'll be listening to is a research biologist, anthropologist, and professor at the University of Manchester, Dr. Suzanne Schultz. Yeah, well, oxytocin has been called the, the love hormone. Um, because oxytocin, oxytocin actually has a very interesting evolutionary history because it's um, tied up with uh, giving birth in, in mammals um, and it also has to do with, with um, mothers starting to lactate. So when a female gives birth, she has a rush of oxytocin which makes her start producing milk and also makes her bond to her babies. So in mammals, it's something that most female mammals have this oxytocin rush when they give birth. But actually, we seem to have used oxytocin a bit to form pair bonds as well. So instead of it just being about mother-offspring bonds, it now in, in humans and some other monogamous animals, you get oxytocin rushes with, um, with your partner. So you, your bond is essentially kind of like a mother-offspring bond, but it's a male-female bond instead. Oxytocin makes us uh, more trusting, it makes us more sociable, it makes us um, more uh, positive towards and more, more so social, so socially bonded with other individuals. So if you give people, if you administer oxytocin to a person, you can do this um, by giving them uh, an injection in their nose so that it affects their brain, then they suddenly find other people more attractive, they find them more trustworthy, they find them more likable. So it seems to have all these Im impacts where we start feeling attracted to and bonded towards other people when oxytocin levels go up. So, according to the words of Dr. Schultz, when oxytocin levels are up, humans tend to find other people more likable, more attractive, more trustworthy. They can even become more sociable and socially bonded to others. In other words, she describes it as an oxytocin rush. Now, wouldn't that be considered love at first sight by the majority of poets and romantic people out there? What do you think? Is there even such thing as love at first sight? Or is this purely a biochemical phenomenon that occurs to humans as much as it does in nature? 
leave your comments, and make sure to follow Love and Other Drugs on Instagram, where you'll find sneak peeks to all the episodes, as well as the links to the feature pieces on the blog. Go check it out! We're coming to the end of the show, but before I go, I like to suggest some further reading on this topic. The first book, which has already been mentioned in this episode, is Why We Love, The Nature and Chemistry of Romantic Love by Dr. Helen Fisher. In her sweeping book, she uses compelling data to argue that romantic passion is hardwired into our brains by millions of years of evolution. It is not an emotion. It is a drive as powerful as hunger. It offers radical answers to age-old questions. What love is, who we love, and how to keep love alive. The second book is called in the US, Love Drugs, The Chemical Future of Our Relationships. Or if you're in the UK, you'll find it with a slight different title, Love is the Drug, The Chemical Future of Our Relationships. This book builds a case for conducting research into love drugs and anti-love drugs, and explores their ethical implications for individuals and society. Ethicists Brian Earp and Julian Savalesco pose some rather interesting facts on medication, psychoactive substances, and the latest scientific knowledge, as well as a set of ethical tools that we can use to decide if these sorts of medications should be a part of our society, or whether a chemical romance would be right for us. for listening to Love and Other Drugs podcast. Please subscribe and make sure you follow on Instagram. See you all soon. Have a lovely week and let's be in love.